says, greater love is no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. God loves us so much that he gave us his very life. He gave us his son, Jesus, the greatest gift he could possibly give us. That's how much he loves you and me.
singing about Jesus sure makes your heart feel happy. We'll do some more singing in a few minutes. Now let's get back to our continuing Bible story from the Bible in Living Sound. Friends, this meeting was called... I know. This meeting was called for the purpose of deciding how to handle the problem of the Galilean. As presiding officer, I am worthy of respect. You will speak respectfully or leave this room. I'm sorry, Your Grace. But that is the reason for the meeting, is it not? It is. Well, it's just that we have met over and over again for the same reason... And all our plans have availed nothing. That's right. All our schemes seem to backfire and leave the multitudes laughing at us and listening even more eagerly to Jesus. And that is exactly what we don't want. But this time, I think we have a foolproof plan. Jared, will you explain your idea to us? Well, it's, it's really very simple. Uh, we... Many people were gathered about Jesus at the temple, listening as he taught them. Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. As far as the east is from the west, so far will I remove your transgressions from you. For I am ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy. And ye ought also to forgive one another. I say unto you, if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Listen, what's all that commotion? Well, it looks like Joash and Athor dragging a woman. What on earth? <laughs> Evidently, you're not at the council last night. No, I wasn't, but but what is that? Well, that, taking that woman to Jesus, is how we're finally going to trap Jesus and turn the people against him. Oh, wow. Oh, do they have to be that rough? Well, she doesn't exactly want to go, you know. <laughs> they take that woman to Jesus and... Uh, uh, Joash is going to tell Jesus that the woman broke the commandment. And Joash will ask him to pass sentence on the woman. Uh, if Jesus... <laughs> I wonder how they caught her. Why, they set a trap for her, of course. <laughs> J-Rad? J-Rad? He's supposed to be her friend. Well, that's J-Rad. He's your friend as long as it suits his purpose. <laughs> oh, I'd never trust him. Joash will ask Jesus to pass sentence on the woman and... Uh... And if he says stone her, then we report to the Roman authorities that Jesus... Jesus is assuming powers that belong only to Rome. And if he doesn't... If Jesus says, don't punish her, or if he suggests a lighter sentence, then we will accuse him of despising the law of Moses. For the law of Moses says that she should be stoned. That should make the people turn against him. Oh, we have him either way. That's the way it's supposed to work. 
And what if Jesus says that according to the law, Joash is not the one who should make the report? According to Moses, it would not be his duty to make the accusation, you know? Oh, minor detail. We'll just say sin is sin, isn't it? Jesus could hardly say no. Also, according to the law of Moses, the accomplices in crime are to be considered equally guilty. Oh, well, what will Jesus say if we accuse only one person? Well, that's easy. If he says anything, we'll just say that the others ran away. You know, it just may work. Come on, let's hurry. I don't want to miss any of this. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. I will remember thy sins no more. Father, look at that poor woman. She looks scared to death. What are those men going to do to her? She certainly looks frightened, all right. The men seem to be dragging her here, much against her will, apparently. They surely are rough with her. No wonder she's frightened. They are taking her to Jesus. So it seems. Jesus likes her. See? He looks at her so kindly. Rabbi, we have brought this lawbreaker to thee to ask thy counsel. We are eyewitnesses to her transgression. Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Jesus acts like he didn't even hear that man. He's stooping over. He picked up a stick. Is he going to... No. It looks like he's writing on the ground. Well, don't you show enough courtesy to answer us? What are you doing with that stick? Damascus. Two months past. Oh, dear. How did he find out about that? Uh, I didn't think anybody knew. I'd better get out of here. Come, answer us. Should she be stoned? What are you writing? Sold three oxen, one sick... Oh... How does he know that? I, I'm leaving. Jesus, there were eyewitnesses. What should be her punishment? Uh, missing gold piece. Oh, oh, no, nobody knows that. No, no, Jesus, must. I'm getting out of here. False accusation against... Hui, <gasps> I'm not staying around here. Jesus knows too much. You say there were eyewitnesses? Let the witness who is without sin cast the first stone. The accusers had been defeated, their robes of pretended holiness torn from them. They trembled lest the hidden iniquity of their lives should be laid open. And one by one they stole away, leaving their intended victim with a pitying Savior. Jesus arose, and looking at the woman said, Woman, where are these thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? No man, Lord. Neither do I condemn thee. Go, and sin no more. Oh, merciful Master, Thou knowest what a great sinner I am, yet Thou hast shown mercy. Surely I will love and serve Thee as long as life shall last. Glory and honor be Thine forever and ever, my Savior, wonderful, wonderful Jesus. We'll continue the Bible story tomorrow. And if you would like to add these stories to listen to at home, you can call the Bible in Living Sound at 1-800-634-0234. That's 1-800-634-0234. Testing. 
testing. Okay, ready. Dear diary, the teacher of my health class at school wants us to keep a record of what we do to stay healthy each day. So here goes. Today, I stood on the playground and breathed deeply six times, which some kids thought was kind of dumb because I was playing soccer at the time and my team was losing. What they didn't know was that breathing deeply helps relax you and makes you smarter. Breathing deeply fills your blood with oxygen and that oxygen goes to your brain and muscles and makes them work better. Trust me, my team needed to work better right about then. So there I was breathing deeply when the ball comes flying out of the sky and hits me right on the head. That made me so embarrassed, I went over and kicked it as hard as I could. That ball flew down to the end of the field and bounced right into the net. Goal! Now, I'm not saying that breathing deeply will help your soccer game, but it will reduce your stress and make your organs healthier. My health teacher said it can even reduce your blood pressure, which I really needed at that time. You see, when I got embarrassed and kicked the ball, I kind of kicked it in the wrong direction and it went right into my own net. Yep, that's right. I scored a goal for the other team. They were very happy and congratulated me. My team wasn't so thrilled. What did I learn today? Breathing deeply is good. But if a ball hits you on the head and makes you embarrassed, don't kick it. God has given us everything we need to be healthy inside and out. During Creation Week, He established a health plan for every creature on earth. To learn more about healthy living and about the God who created us all, go to kidsbibleinfo.com. That's kidsbibleinfo.com. This program was brought to you by the Children's Ministries Department of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Hi, boys and girls. This is Ms. Kathy. I'm so happy you've joined me today for another story just for you. Second Choice Pup by Viola M. Payne. Pup came into my life when I very badly needed something of my own to love. Mother had been ill all summer, and the three other children and I had been divided among aunts to be cared for. These women were kind, but they couldn't take the place of our parents. Worse than that, they all lived in town. I had been free to roam fields and pastures along the Texas Cap Rock. How could I suddenly confine myself to paper dolls and clay modeling in a prim house with a sidewalk for my boundary line? It was a happy August day when Dad moved us all back home. During the hot, dusty ride, he kept hinting that he had some surprise waiting for me. I could hardly wait for a glimpse of our solitary little house with its one tree in front. At last, we pulled up in front of it, and a fuzzy black puppy came dashing around the corner. "'Here's your surprise!' Dad exclaimed. I ran forward to meet the puppy. I could hardly dare to believe that I had this little animal to care for and love." The name Pup stayed with the dog because I couldn't think of anything fine enough to call such a lovely creature. He was a shepherd, dainty and well-shaped and remarkably clever. He started going along with me on walks over the rim rock of hills that bordered the high plains. I was never lonely, for he made a merry little playmate scampering beside me. He could detect things I never would have found alone. Now and then, he would leave my side, his brown eyes sparkling, to chase an impudent prairie dog back down a hole, or to give a saucy ground squirrel the scare of its life. Sometimes a real enemy lurked in the brush, such as the rusty brown coil of a rattlesnake. 
Pup would warn me with a growl low in his throat as every hair on his back rose up like the quills of a porcupine. But usually they were happy excursions with the last daisies of fall to sniff and a fresh cool breeze pushing across from the hills. Pup learned when I was going after the cows. If I had a stick in my hand, it meant that I was going to drive the slow, pokey jersey and the fussy old Holstein. Pup found them for me when they hid in a mesquite thicket. He could also put some willingness into their steps by a few well-placed nips on the back of their heels. He could even be depended upon to bring them in alone. I taught Pup to do tricks that astonished even the grown-ups. He'd stand on his hind legs and beg for bread. He'd roll over and over as many times as we wanted. He'd bring back the ball from wherever I threw it. But the game that never failed to delight us was hide-and-seek. On sunny days during the winter, I'd tell Pup what I wanted him to do. Hide, Pup, hide! With tail wagging in delight, he would dart away for some secret place where he would flatten down and remain motionless until I finally located him. Then it would be my turn to hide, and Pup always stayed at home base long enough to give me time to get out of sight. Then he would begin a quick sniffing, which never failed to lead to me. I always took the best care of him I could. I saw that he had as much to eat as any of the family. That wasn't always too much, but it was certainly enough to keep a pup's life going. Whenever I brushed and combed his silky black fur, admiring the deep waves and curls, he would look up at me with his big, soulful eyes. I could see love shining in their inky depths. If I thought anything about it at all, I just supposed that life would go on as it was, with Pup always trotting beside me, waiting to meet me after school, and bounding down the cotton row while I worked. Of course, I knew that dogs sometimes died, other people's old worthless dogs, but I couldn't imagine anything as pretty and lovable as Pup having a mortal life. Once I asked my mother with a twinge of fear, how long do dogs usually live? And when she answered, oh, about 13 years, I think, I was satisfied and dismissed the thought from my mind. Spring came and summer, and Pup had been with me for almost a year. Then a chance came for me to spend a week with my cousin Alice. Mother and Dad encouraged it, for they thought I deserved a vacation. Yet as I left, I felt a nagging little fear. Who will take care of Pup? The whole family promised to watch him. Although I missed him while visiting Alice, the days went swiftly with games and bicycle rides. Then one day, Dad drove up in front of the shady porch where we were thumbing through some books. I hurried to ask about things at home. I have to tell you about Pup. Daddy appeared worried. He's a very sick dog. I've done all I can, but he doesn't seem to get any better. He has a fever, and his mouth is so infected that he can't eat. I don't know anything more we can do for him. I packed my clothes with shaking fingers, feeling that the bottom had dropped out of everything. I blamed myself all the way home for having left my pet. But I told myself he would surely get well when he saw me again. He didn't. His tail thumped feebly, his eyes lit with love, yet he was wasting from an infection that animal doctors didn't have a cure for at that time. We did the best we could to make him comfortable, always keeping a cool pan full of water for him to lap when he felt strong enough. Why does he have to suffer? I burst out. Do you see the pitiful way he looks at me with his big eyes? It isn't your fault, my mother tried to console me. One night, not long afterward, he looked up at my father tenderly, and the last breath quietly slipped from his body. 
The next morning, Dad wrapped him in a soft blanket and dug his grave where a cotton patch met a long, lonely strip of prairie. I would not watch him be buried. I circled the house and sobbed helplessly. The awful hours that passed nailed the truth into my heart. No more would the dear little form come dashing to meet me. No more would his quick, furry paws go the same path as mine. Suddenly, my world was dark and life not worth living. Mother tried to reason with me. We'll get another dog, she said. Another dog? I cried in sudden anger. I don't want another dog. There will never be another dog for me. I want Pup back. That is the one thing you cannot have, she said gently. But death is an enemy of God's too, and someday he will destroy it and give us all a better chance to be happy. Why doesn't he end it all now? Because it is not time. God wants more people to have a chance to learn that his way is right. I hardly understood what she meant, and I didn't see how talking was going to help me any. People said I would forget, but I didn't. I quit my crying out loud for the bitter reason that it was no use. I went on with school and the usual activities, but inside I was hurt and lonely, and often I would carry a little bunch of wildflowers to Pup's grave and stand there and long for him. I wouldn't let anyone bring another dog on the place. I spent spare hours alone working on a scrapbook about dogs. The wound of Pup's death healed over to the point that I felt life was bearable, but not very joyful. Then something happened that jarred my mind out of its rut. Dad announced that we were moving back to a farm on a creek 60 miles to the east. I brightened, remembering the hills and arroyos of Mitchell County as being much more interesting than the treeless plains and chalky caprock of our present home. We moved during Christmas vacation, and it was such hard work that I didn't have time to think of anything else. Soon, I was exploring the creek, hunting arrowheads around old Indian camps and climbing mesquite trees. We're going to have to get a dog to keep the opossums off the chickens, my dad suggested. I turned pale. No, I flared. I don't want any dog. Not now or ever. Then one night, a norther whistled in, chilling everything to the bone all the way to San Antonio, while a freezing rain hung icicles off all the bare mesquite limbs. I went to bed with a hot grindstone at my feet and pulled a homemade quilt all the way to my ears. I couldn't go to sleep, for the wind kept whistling through cracks and banging things around, and I could hear the wood in the stove crackling down lower and lower. Mixed in with the noises was a thin, pitiful whining. I finally got up to investigate. Outside the front door huddled the most miserable piece of dog flesh I had seen in all my life. I opened the door to the creature, and it inched in as if it expected each moment to get a blow upon its caved-in sides. It was nothing but a pup, just a short-haired white mixture of breeds. It had a cactus spine in one foot, and it looked up at me with blurred eyes set in a head too big for its scrawny body. Mother came to see what the commotion was about. She had a few words to say about anyone who would turn a helpless pup out to freeze and starve on the creek at this time of year. Then she found an old pan she could use to heat some milk. When I put the warm liquid out to the dog, his tail began to wag and hope crept back into his eyes. When his shriveled stomach was so stuffed that he had to curl in front of the fire, I heard him sigh contentedly, and I felt the first real bit of happiness that I had known for a long, long time. The days hurried by after that. Of course, the little dog did not leave. He had no place to go. 
We named him Prosperity, since Dad said we could certainly stand a bit of that around. He didn't look like my long-lost pup, nor did he act a bit like him, but he was a good little dog and became a faithful household pet. We had many walks across the hills and pastures, and he chased wild cows away from me more than once. He could not take pup's place, nothing like that. Each of us, human and animal, has their own place in God's great plan. No other creature can fill it. But I did learn a great lesson from that scrawny little dog. The way to get over sorrow and loss is not to bottle up your heart and quit loving, but to reach out and find someone who needs you. Then you can't help being happy, for happiness follows loving and doing for others as surely as day follows night. And the time even came in my life when I could say that little prosperity wasn't a second choice pup to me. He had made a place of his own, equal to any. The story you have heard today is from God's Greatest Stories, written by various authors and compiled by Randy Fischel and used with permission from the Pacific Press Publishing Association. If you're interested in any other books published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, please visit AdventistBookCenter.com or call 1-800-765-6955. This podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Let the children come. Don't dare drive them away And then the kingdom comes Hear the holy foolish things they say The springtime of their life decides The adults they'll become So let the children come Please let the children come Children's Bible Journey was brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio and is a production of Lifetalk Radio at lifetalk.net.